Welcome to Highlands Church. So glad to see all of you here. It is a joy. Uh, there was a part of, uh, I think it was um, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, where the music dropped and all I can hear were your beautiful voices and seven-part harmony. And seven-part, I, mean, I don't even know if it exists. But it was so refreshing to hear the people of God singing to our victorious God this morning. It was beautiful. <clears throat> Uh, if you're here for the first time or second time, or we've, if we've never met, my name is Manny. I'm, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm so happy that you are here today. And if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Um, and if you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Um, we can't wait for the day that we meet you in person, and yet we're so grateful for the opportunity to uh, do what we do, and it gets to uh, reach so many people outside of our walls. Now, if you missed the last few weeks, we've been on a series called Let Me Explain. It's kind of like the, the Blue Jeans series. And by Blue Jeans, I mean it's like super practical. Um, we explain things like why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe, um, the church overall, but, but also why we at Highlands, why we believe certain things and do certain things. So that's why it's called Let Me Explain. So today's big idea is Let Me Explain the Gospel. Let me explain the gospel. How does that sound? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. Can we pray together? And we will begin this roller coaster. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the God of the gospel. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the, the practices that the church has done for millennia. That we just didn't pop out of nowhere, but we are tied to a very old vine an old stream that has been proclaiming you for a long time. And today, God, will you just uh, inspire us through your words? Will you sharpen our minds? Will, will you help us to see Jesus in every part of this message and the text? We love you, and together we say together, amen. So uh, my wife, Shanna, um, a while back, she had asked me to go and do a pedicure with her. And, and, uh, and I'm like, no, honey, my feet are just fine. She's like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's get a pedicure together. It's our first time doing it together. So I was like, boy, I don't know the last time that I got a pedicure. And so I said, sure. Um, but little did I know that the, you know, it wasn't about my feet as much as for my wife. It was more about doing something together. Right, man? Yeah, oh, that was so weak. Right, guys? <laughs> All right. <laughs> So I said, sure. And so we go right up here to um, her, her favorite place, and, uh, and we sit there, and we're getting a pedicure. And the gal that's working on my feet, she's like, your feet look like they have been, th th look like you walked through World War II. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Great marketing. Um, and then she's like, when's the last time you got a pedicure? Uh, I'm like, I don't remember. She's like, I can tell. And then towards the end, she, you know, she, she's talking to me, and she's working on my feet, and I'm, like, giggling because my, I don't like any, anyone touching my feet. Like, I don't even like to touch my feet. And finally, I get through the whole thing, and then she's like, do you own any lotion? And I said, yeah. And so, but it was interesting because my feet looked a whole lot more beautiful then, and I use the word beautiful, then when I walked in, it was a complete transformation. 
um, she not only pedicured my, my feet, but she pedicured my ego as well. And so my feet never looked as good. And so um, I'm not kidding. Like for the next month or like three weeks, I wore sandals like every day. And like, <laughs> so it was actually a joy to look down south. And um, every time I, I walked into, into doors, I'd you know, walk like this. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. And um, now you're thinking, what does this have to do with the gospel? Great question. I think the Bible has something to tell us about feet. Um, can we please stand together as we read this passage? As we read the Word of God. So um, Isaiah 52.7 in the Old Testament says this. Why don't you read it with me? Ready? Go. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may be seated. So, yes, the Bible does care about our feet. But it, not because of a pedicure. It cares about our feet because of the message that the messenger brings. So the question is, and I'm going to pose a question this morning. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? I heard good news. This word is so familiar for those that are in the faith, and we use it all the time. Uh, but over time, like familiar words end up losing their, or the definition starts morphing over time. Have you ever had like someone ask you a question and says, what does this mean? And like, you know what it means. It's here. And you've said it since you were a kid. But then you try to explain it and you're like, uh, well, it's actually... So the gospel, in some ways, is like a word that's so common and so popular and so central to the scriptures. And yet, when we explain it, we get like so many different answers. This past month, um, intentionally, I've been asking people around me, and some of you are here too, I've been asking a bunch of people, hey, what's the gospel? If you were to summarize it for me, like, let's say I don't believe in Jesus, and, I'm, and, I, and I come up to you, and I say, hey, what's this word gospel that you guys talk about? What would you say? And I got a lot of great responses, very interesting responses, and some were similar, and a lot of it was not similar, and it was kind of across the board, and all of them had truth in them, and so it was interesting. So today the word gospel could be connected to phrases like, God loves you, or God has a plan for your life. Jesus died for your sins. Or the gospel, it's the truth, like the gospel truth. It's the way you get to heaven. The gospel is persuading others to believe in Jesus. And there's a whole lot more. And none of these are wrong. They're true, and they're great things. But is this the gospel that we get from the scriptures, and from the audience, and the author, and Jesus, and Paul, and the early church? And then the biggest question is this, is, is that it's easy for this de these definitions to kind of morph into some other kinds of definitions. And then the question is, uh, is this good advice or is this good news? And it's very easy for good news to, 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 to kind of like fade into good advice where it sounds like good news and it maybe even comes from the good news, but it might not be exactly the good news that the Bible is pointing to. So, look, I get it. You're driving 90 miles an hour towards a cliff, and someone drives up and says, hey, 
Make a U-turn. Turn the other way. There's a cliff ahead. That's good news, right? It's great news because it saves you. But the question is, is this the gospel? Is this good advice or is this great news? We're going to look at the Old Testament, uh, what was written and pointed to thousands of years ago, and how this, this word got its origin. Um, and is this the good news that Jesus proclaimed? Is this the good news that the disciples proclaimed, the Apostle Paul taught about, and the early church believed in, and spread throughout the world? To discover why this is so important, and why the good news is, is for the people of the Bible, and the writers of the Bible, we need to jump into the story just a little bit. Could we do that? Yeah. Could we get into the story? All right. So let's do this. Let's start first with the word gospel. The word gospel, and what does it mean? If it's not already obvious, um, some of you have said it, and I probably mentioned it too, it's, it means good news. The word gospel, like the word actually means good news, the, the gospel in biblical Greek is pronounced as evangelion. I, I, I remember the first Christmas Eve service that Pastor David uh, became our pastor, and that evening he taught, he taught on the good news. He taught on the evangelion. Who remembers that? Everyone. Everyone. Oh, such great listeners. You probably have those notes in your Bible right now. So in the biblical Greek, the word uh, gospel is translated as evangelion. Can you say evangelion? evangelion? Good job, biblical scholars, you. It's a compound word. It's made up of two words. Ew, like not ew, that's nasty. Not, not ew, but eu. So ew, which means good. And angelion, which means announcement. It's where we get the word angel from. Every time in the Bible when angels showed up, what did they do? They something, and we call them angels. Um, Evangelion is where we get the word evangelism or evangelical uh, or evangelized from as well. Now, the Roman world knew exactly what that word was and what it meant. It was a military and a political victory of a Roman emperor or the coronation of a Roman emperor. So, if uh, Caesar would conquer, uh, like, Germania or some other nation, or when somebody became Caesar, the heralds would go all around Rome and all around the Roman Empire and pronounce, Hey! Good news! Good news! We have a new emperor! Or Caesar is Lord! And he brings with him this word called the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace, which means Roman justice, Roman peace, and all the benefits that Rome brought when they conquered. Okay, but that's a whole different story. They conquered, they killed, and then they brought some benefits. Okay, so that's what it means. Now, uh, Caesars um, typically would uh, like that term for themselves because it elevated their lordship over people. Uh, but something else that it meant, too, it, for the audience, it was like, wait, so if Octavian Augustus or Marcus Aurelius or these, these emperors are now the lord of Rome, what it implied was the world is going to look different from this point on. Something changed. Something has happened. Caesar is lord. And now things are different. Now, the word gospel, the equivalent in the Hebrew language, is pronounced as biser 
or Besorah. Can you say Biser? Can you say Besorah? Which means good tidings or a royal announcement. Very similar. Now, what kind of royal announcement? Again, for Israel, it was um, typically when uh, someone like David or Solomon becomes king or when they went out to battle like in 2 Samuel and they came back and said, don't worry, we won the victory, you are still on the throne. But a bit later, we're going to dive into why the Greek and the Hebrew understanding of the word gospel is so important to understanding the word gospel for us today. And how this word gave God's people hope in the face of exile and, um, and, and death and oppression, and how it gave the early Christians courage to face death and martyrdom, being ripped apart by lions and tigers in the Roman Colosseum. It was the gospel that gave them strength by the power of the Spirit. And why this word is so important for us today and how it is good news to transform you and me and to save us. So I want us to try something together. Can you please lift your hands? Uh, or just one hand, actually. And now wiggle your fingers. Okay? Now, every time you think about the gospel, I, I want you to remember your hand. Okay? Now, the gospel, I break it down into five things, or five fingers, or five points. Okay? So first, the gospel is the announcement of a promise. Okay? Second finger. The gospel is the announcement of a story. The gospel is an announcement of a kingdom. The gospel is announcement of a savior. And the fifth, the gospel is the announcement of a future. Okay, promise, story, kingdom, savior, and future. You may put your hands down. Great, great job. So let's start with the first. Um, we're going to get into some, some history and some biblical text. So it's a good time to write your notes. So the first one, the gospel is the announcement of a promise. Let's read Genesis 3.15. It says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. What does this mean? Biblical scholars call this, uh, this text in Genesis, at the very early part of the Bible, the Proto-Evangelion. Proto like prototype, like the first or the original or, or the blueprint of something that comes after, okay? So they call this the Proto-Evangelion. And it's found our understanding of the gospel. Why? Because Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God gives Adam and Eve a command. He says, of all the trees, don't eat from the fruit of this one in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, who appears in the form of a serpent, tempts the pear, not the pear like fruit, but the pear on the ground. Um, and they get tempted, and they listen, and they buy into what Satan says, and they eat from the forbidden fruit. It's that moment that everything changed by one decision. Everything, like the cosmos, everything in all of creation changes from that moment on. Sin, death, decay now enter into God's good creation, affecting and infecting all of creation and our position and our relationship with God. Does that make sense? So in this passage, God makes, God himself makes the very first gospel announcement of a promise. In Genesis 3, uh, in the beginning of the Bible, though humanity had fallen from grace and sin entered into the world, into God's good creation, but it was God 
the God of grace who would make a way. He would provide a, a way and a plan. What's the plan? Thanks for asking. That someone would come from the offspring or the genealogy of Eve. Now, we won't read this, but if you want to know the, like, the actual genealogy from Adam and Eve all the way down to Jesus, um, look at Luke chapter 3, verse 23 and on. Like you'll see every name between Adam um, and Eve and Jesus to show that Jesus is the seed or in the genealogy of Adam and Eve. But what this passage means is who would strike the head of the serpent? Well, what it means is that by Jesus, who is the seed of Eve, who would come on the scene, his death or um, defeating death would would be his resurrection. So Jesus' resurrection would be the stepping on the head of the serpent. Okay? These are biblical pictures from a whole different age that the Bible is giving to us. And then it says, even though the serpent would strike his heel, which means that even though Jesus would conquer the grave and defeat the enemy, right? If your head's crushed, you're done, pretty much. But that uh, his heel will be struck, which means what? which means that Jesus would still have to taste death before he, had, he would conquer it. Does that make sense? So in short, this verse promises that Jesus would win the victory over Satan, sin and death, in the resurrection, that God would be victorious, but he would also be wounded on the cross. The good news is the announcement of a promise. Is this the gospel? Yes. Does it stop here? No. It's the first finger. Let's move on to the second. The gospel is the announcement of a story. There's a poem that's found in the book of Isaiah during one of the darkest parts of Israel's history. And the city of Jerusalem, so here's what's happening. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed. They worshiped other gods, and the Babylonians came, and they sacked um, Jerusalem. They burned the temple, and they forced the Jews to, um, into exile and forced migration. So all these people, this whole nation, they escape or they're led into, um, into Babylon, into captivity. But there's a remnant. There, there are some Jews that are left behind in Jerusalem. And so this poem talks about this story. Um, and the few who, had, who were remaining in Jerusalem were asking themselves, what in the world did just happen? If God is truly king, why are we in this situation? Even though they forgot that they uh, had worshipped other gods and this, is, this was a result. But they were asking themselves, is all hope lost? The Babylonians have taken God's people and they've destroyed God's temple? Where are you, God? So this poem says that there are watchmen on the city walls and they see a messenger running towards them to deliver a message. And Isaiah says this, which we just read in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Now this is in my notes. I just want to mention, not every time the Bible mentions salvation does it actually mean eternal life. We mix that up so often. Um, a lot of times it's actually liberation and um, like justice and liberation and freedom. It's not always a like salvation for your soul. Just keep that in mind. What's the gospel? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, God was still king and God was still on the throne. 
But it doesn't stop there. But that Israel's God was going to one day return to Jerusalem as king and bring his peace. Not like Caesar, who will conquer you and destroy you, and then it'll bring something called the Pax Romana. Not like the Caesars and the Babylonians. No, but this kind of king would bring true shalom to his people. Isaiah 40, um, 9 to 11 says this, O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintop, shout it louder, O Jerusalem, shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. What kind of king in the ancient world would do that? Who's the shepherd king who holds, who holds a sheep close to his heart? Who's the one who rode in, into Jerusalem, the city of David, hailed as king? Who's the long-expected Messiah who was coronated with a crown of thorns on his head and was lifted high on a cross with a sign that said, King of the Jews? Who was this king that didn't retaliate like the powers of the world did? Instead, he took on himself sin, violence, and corruption and forgave his enemies. Who would this king be? The good news is the announcement of a story that goes way back to the Old Testament. Is this the gospel? Yes. Does it stop here? No. The third, the gospel is the announcement of a king, of a kingdom, I'm sorry. We'll talk, uh, as we mentioned like a little bit ago, the gospel in Hebrew is Biser or Besorah, which was the announcement of a reign of a new king. In the New Testament, it's um, Evangelion, which was used to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. This is why we call the first four books of the New Testament the Gospels. What are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These, this is the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus, the good news that he was and he taught, um, given from the lens of four different followers. And these four Gospels are what we refer to when we say the Gospels. Mark 1, 14 to 15 says this, Jesus went into Galilee where he, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has finally come, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. The word is mataneo, which means make a U-turn, make a mental U-turn. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Just so you know, Jesus talked about this word kingdom in his gospel announcement more than any other subject more than anything else, he talked about this thing called the kingdom. God was good on his word. He had finally arrived. But what is this promise by God? And what kind of a kingdom? Well, Luke 4, 18-20 tells us that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. This is after he gets baptized in the Jordan. He goes through his 40 days of temptation. And then he um, goes into a city called Nazareth, which was the city of his birth, right? And so just imagine, like... 
you know, everyone saw you, they saw you in diapers or whatever they used back then, and then all of a sudden you come back into the same city and you claim to be the Messiah, and you're like, dude, I remember you. Aren't you like Joseph's kid, right? And that's what they actually said. But it's interesting. So he's in this synagogue, right? And so he opens up the scroll in Luke, four, in Luke chapter 4, 18 to 20, and Jesus only reads from this part of the book of Isaiah. This is what he reads. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be, will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That is God being true to his word in the story of Isaiah. That Jesus' good news of the kingdom was the fulfillment of Isaiah's gospel story, that poem, which God promised way back in Genesis. Jesus' upside-down kingdom was God arriving in human flesh. And his reversal of all the ways that the kings and the kingdoms of this world they attained power and they also maintained power through violence, injustice, and exploitation. That's how power was maintained and held. But God's kingdom was different. It was good news for the poor, the last, and the captive. These were the ethics of God's rule and reign. This kingdom is what the early church called agape, or agapao, which means unconditional love. It was a kingdom empowered by love. This kingdom wasn't about believing the right ideas so you can escape the world, but rather living in such a way that God's kingdom would radiate into the world. This upside-down kingdom wasn't about going to heaven, but about heaven coming to earth. How do we know? Read the prayer of Jesus. Our Father who art in heaven, may your kingdom come on where? earth as it is in heaven. The prayer of Jesus embodied the mission of Jesus. This good news is the announcement of the kingdom. Is this the gospel? Yes. But does it stop here? No. The fourth, the gospel is the announcement of a savior. The gospel is the announcement of a Savior. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. It's kind of lengthy. Here we go. Let me now remind you, this, these are the words of Paul. Dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before, you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news you, if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe some um, something else that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. And what's that? Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom still are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later 
by all the apostles. In this passage, Paul is reminding them of the gospel that he had shared with them. This whole section actually uh, is about the resurrection of Jesus. This whole chapter, this whole section is about the resurrection of Jesus. Not about going to another place called heaven. Not about anything else. It's about the pinnacle of our faith. The resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. And that is great news. So this whole section is about that. But it starts off by reminding us to stand firm in this good news because it actually saves us. And then it says that Jesus, because of what he did, our sins are forgiven by his death. He died in our place and rose from the grave three days later, seen by many. Paul is telling us that salvation from sin that our salvation from sin, our liberation from the bondage of fallen creation, going back to the Genesis promise, was validated when Jesus rose from the grave, crushing the serpent's head, saving us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of love. Are you with me? Come on, can I get an amen, church? Amen. This good news is the announcement of the Savior. Is this the gospel? Yes. But does it stop here? No. The gospel is the announcement of a future, our fifth one. The gospel is the announcement of a future. First Corinthians, now just a little bit after that passage that we just read, um, here's what it talks about. First uh, Corinthians 15, 20 until 23. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, as just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order, order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. In those days, um, farmers would always take the first fruits of the harvest. And this is kind of an um, agrarian language that's telling us that Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the blueprint. You want to build a house, you, you have some kind of a blueprint, and then you build your house based off of that, right? I don't construct, I'm not in construction, but that's how they say homes are built. Uh, right, Chris? Yes, amen. So that's, that's how I built homes. The resurrection of Jesus is the blueprint for all of creation. It's the blueprint for you and I. That's why death no longer has a sting. That's why they would stand in front of lions and tigers and the sword and gladiators in the middle of the Colosseum and get ripped apart to death. But they knew that Jesus rose from the grave and that they would rise as well. That is great news. I've done almost 300 funeral services. And honestly, every time I wrestle with death, and there's this sadness that grips me. But then I start thinking about the gospel, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not the end. That this, this situation doesn't have the last word. And it's not only about later, but it's about the life that it gives me in the present. 
And this is also the good news. Eternity with Jesus is a gift of grace from the one, for the one who believes. Jesus has secured that for us. Amen. But when we look at the New Testament, we don't find passages that define the gospel as going to heaven. If you find that, please let me know. I'd love to read it. Uh, Jesus didn't preach it. Paul didn't teach it. And the early church did not believe it. The Evangelion that compelled Christians throughout history was about a resurrected king named Jesus who was the true Lord unlike the Caesars of the world and that if King Jesus had the power to be risen from the grave then he would have the power to do the same for all of those who followed his upside down kingdom. Does that make sense, church? The good news is the announcement of a promise, a story of a kingdom, uh, a story, a kingdom, and a savior, and a future, all found in one person of history. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus. So what do we do? I give you all this content. You're Bible scholars now, and you can go home and just have it for lunch and ponder on it for the next, I don't know, couple of weeks, because it's really amazing. But what do we do with this? The, the Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, he, um, uh, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 8, this is what he says. This is like the end of Paul's life, um, according to uh, many scholars. And you would think that by the end of your life, preaching something over and over again, that you'd probably figure it out, <laughs> right? This is what Paul says. He summarizes the gospel. He says, Hey, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, descended from King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. Our first application point is this. Remember. L last week we talked about why we take the Lord's table. To remember and to announce, it doesn't change. Remember. Paul says remember. Here's how Paul sums up the gospel in the end. Remember King Jesus. Because he's putting uh, from what? From, descended from King David. So he's actually calling Jesus king. So he says, remember King Jesus. Remember his story. And remember his victory over death. And the second is announce. You know, in January 1863, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued by President Lincoln to finally end slavery in America. But in April of 1865, the Civil War had ended, and the 13th Amendment was added to the Constitution, making slavery officially illegal. But the problem was there were so many in different parts of our country that hadn't heard of the good, the good news, particularly in the state of Texas. They were freed, but they weren't living in freedom. Salvation was there. Release from captivity had already been done, and yet the news hadn't reached the black slaves in Texas. That was the problem. That good news hadn't arrived. 
until a messenger arrived. In June of 1865, to Galveston, Texas, General Major Granger would arrive and proclaim freedom, release of the captive, and good news that because of what had happened, the world is now a different place. And we just celebrated this not that long ago, this past week, called Juneteenth. Juneteenth should be a day that every Christ-following Christian who believes in the gospel, who lives it out, who professes faith in Jesus should celebrate the release of captives. We got to be the first ones in line to say, yes, kingdom justice on earth as it is in heaven. But General Major Ranger didn't, uh, Granger, it's kind of hard to say, he didn't uh, persuade them to live free. He, he didn't argue with them to live free. He didn't try to come up with a theory of how do I tell them so that they would understand that they're free. His job was simple. It was to announce. Our job isn't to persuade. We think that our job is to go out there and to persuade the world that's antagonistic or apathetic to the, to the good news of Jesus. It's not, we're not called to persuade. We're called to announce just like the church did. It's not our job to press for decisions either. It's not, the burden is on you to press for decisions so that they would say yes to Jesus. We want them to. But it's our vocation and our calling to announce. The gospel is the announcement of Jesus' good news. And one day, they'll say about you and me, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who brought good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that Jesus is still king, that even after the Caesars and the Neros and the Octavians and the Vespasians and Marcus Aurelius, all of these emperors that have come and gone and they've done their worst to the world in the last 2,000 years, that right now in the Colosseum in Rome stands a very large cross of Jesus Christ in the center of the Colosseum while we call our salad Caesar. Amen. Jesus is still king. And that's great news. Can we stand together? Lord, remind us again of your story and your promise, God, that though we go astray, we play our own songs and sing our own tunes, God, but bring us back to the good news that it's not about our effort, but it's about us being faithful, being faithful to the one who was faithful. Because of your faithfulness, we can be saved by grace through faith. Not because we've done anything good, but because you are good and your news is good. Help us to be bold and courageous as we proclaim your good news and as we demonstrate it to a world that seems to have the wrong picture of who you are. Help us to be faithful, to simply announce the, the promise the story, God. Help us to be 
carriers of your message into our world. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great week.